Welcome to the Parents Wave podcast, where we invite you to a conversation about progressive politics, spirituality, and parenting. My name is Neil Stonis, and I'm here with my partner, Angela Jernigan. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for joining us. Today, we would like to talk about raising justice makers. Raising justice makers. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about it. Okay. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, Niels has just reminded me that our take on justice making is not working with, starting with working with kids when they're seven or eight or 10, um, although you can, mm-hmm. but how we are with kids from the very beginning can shape how much they can embrace being change makers and justice makers in the world. And the first step is to acknowledge that children come in with much more capacity in this area than we ever knew. Yeah. I mean, when they, when we think often, or when I see a curricula about uh, change makers, social justice, empathy, it often feels to me like, educators approach this with the sense that we have to instill in our children a sense of tolerance and we have to instill social justice and we have to instill empathy in them which in a way feels very reminiscent to the way in which i see a lot of children being treated in churches uh, where we have to instill the value of love in them and we have to make songs about it Um, but often done in a way that doesn't feel all that loving right uh, no, bad, no matter the, the best intentions of the people who do these things, um, because I'm sure that they, I mean, I know that they're well-intended, but it's like this instilling of rather than drawing out, uh, which is, uh, all of a sudden comes to me, the original word of the word, meaning of the word education means educare, which is to draw out. Exactly. Um, the so. unfolding of the powers yes. is how um, Channing, I think, talked about it. Anyway, different episode. I'm going to look him up and and come back to that. So what do you mean when you say they come with this? So this is really this incredible thing about little teeny human beings. Um, They have the capacity from the very beginning to tune into the internal lives of other human beings. I know it sounds shocking. You're looking at me like, ah! <laughs> the thing is, we have us, we are a species where our young come in profoundly dependent on their care providers. Babies can't lift a head. They can't roll over. They can't find food. They can't keep themselves warm enough. They really can't do anything. And we evolved as a species to have a particular part of the brain. It's the middle layer of a three-layered brain, and it's called the limbic system. And it's the social, emotional part of the human brain. And it operates like a radar or almost like these little antenna that go out from the social, emotional center of the brain and feel around for a safe spot. And there's other parts of the brain, like the rational part, Mm -hmm. that are going to take like 25 years to develop. But this limbic part, this part that can actually feel the life, the, the presence, the attention, the quality of thinking and feeling inside another human being, they can do that from birth. 
So they come in ha having the capacity to feel another human being. Yes. Okay. Wow. They come in having the, I'm just saying this again, ha with the capacity to feel another human being. So why do you think so many parents uh, and educators and why in our society do we talk about kids as if they are out to, to undermine us? Yes. To break the rules, to, um, to not listen. Why, why do we act as if that's what they are out to do? Well, let me back up for a second. I want to say a tiny bit more about how the limbic system operates. Um, when a baby is born, they very rapidly become able to tune into who's around them. And their brain can pick up on very subtle signals from the brains of the adults around them. And um, they do that through eye contact. Well, probably first they do it through smell and skin-to-skin -skin contact and um, by the tone of the voices of the people around them. Um, then as they wake up a little bit more, they begin to do it with eye contact. Uh, so these very embodied ways of experiencing life are how babies and children first experience connection and a sense that they're connected to other people. And the idea is that they need these other people in order to survive and they need to grow in their trust and capacity that they've got somebody there. They've got someone making sure that they're going to get fed and addressing it when um, they get too cold and need another layer on. Um, and they can call out if, in fact, you know, their feet got too cold in the night and they need somebody to come in and put another layer of pajamas on them. Um, and that all is trust building, that they're having an experience, they can cry out about it, and um, they're connected to this larger life that is going to be responsive. And they're not thinking in terms of that life is separate from my life in the beginning. It's all me. It's all me. It's all us. So they haven't yet made the distinction between you and me at this point. That is coming later. That's right. right? That's right. Which is, anyway, that's really interesting because their brain and your brain as the parent is in that for them a merged entity. It's like one, they have one mind. Yes. Uh, and they don't have two separate minds, which is kind of mind blowing in and of itself. I want to, I mean, what you're making me think of as you explain this is that there is another person who has this incredible empathy, which is the parent, most particularly the mother who is able to distinguish between the different forms of crying, uh, the different pitch of the uh, of the baby. I want to just be really clear. Dads can do this too. Uh, yes, uh, no. Um, and dads do do this and, too. And it's, that's right. I, yes. We've got a little, if you gave birth to a child um, and you've nursed a child, you've got a few more hormones mm -hmm. helping your system be like, incredibly interested in right. these minute details about this little baby but it's actually just a very human capacity it is a complete human capacity i didn't mean to uh yes you're right thank you um i was not clear about that but that's so we have that capacity is what i'm what i want to emphasize it's not it's not dead it's not gone it's right there and it's that same capacity that allows you to listen into a child and to a baby 
and recognize this is a cry for hunger. This is, oh, she's wet. Oh, he's cold. That sense um, is the same capacity for empathy and fairness and justice is built on all of that mm -hmm. in the grown-up as well as in the child. That's exactly right. So it's alive in everybody is what I'm saying. It's alive in us. Yes. That's exactly right. Yes. And it doesn't mean that um, there isn't shaping and intention and attention that's needed to develop this capacity, but it's different than saying that we come in a blank slate or we come in selfish and we have to be civilized into being aware of and sensitive to the human beings around us. It's just a different orientation to the human. So if we begin to understand that the human being is by its very nature oriented to feeling deeply connected to the people around it, that's a completely different way to begin thinking about justice. Now, what we yeah. know is that the people who we interact with every day over many years, meaning like our family, <laughs> our friends, uh -huh. that we get a very strong sense of, um, we're really building one another's brains by the way we interact. And we get a strong sense of the, the us-ness of our family, the us-ness of even a friendship. And you can continue to experience that our minds are not completely separate. Um, we're regulating each other, we're balancing one another. There is an us that I can feel. That's actually a, a very important statement uh, that I wanna uh, speak to for just a second. This notion of us-ness, mm -hmm. Because what that suggests to me is that if as a parent you want to expand a child's notion of who is included in a sense of social justice and fairness, what you have to develop is not the child's capacity but your own sense of usness. That's right. So it's the parent's job to expand our sense of who is part of us in, for the parent. And then the child would come in with that. And it's not, and so that's very different. And that's, this is why I'm raising that then saying we have our tight little family and that's who us is. And now I'm going to teach you about social justice and be in solidarity with some people that you don't know and who I have not as the parent included in our sense of usness in our day-to-day -day life. You got it. And that's really, that's so critical. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, it's so hard to say this because I know how impacted everybody's lives is. I mean, all our lives are so full and so now we have to kind of, but that's really where it starts. Yeah, it really does. And I think it starts in very small little ways. Yeah. Um, even having books with stories about families that have different skin colors, mm -hmm. um, having mm -hmm. books about uh you know, families where both parents are the same gender or, you know, so introducing your children early on to the notions of 
these this is just another way to yeah. be a human being and we are part of them and they are part of us and if your parents are of the same gender maybe you should have some books about parents of different genders too <laughs> well <I've, laughs> my guess the, is they get that one right they get that one <laughs> From they get are. that one I imagine for so. those of us who yeah. get to participate in the dominant culture meaning what our family looks like is yeah. what the dominant culture says family should look like we have a little more onus on us to be exposing our kids to other ways of being family yeah. but the basic idea here and but the onus is for uh, not to expose our kids but to expose ourselves that's right and through ourselves our kids that's right the kids will come into it naturally i mean that's i think what we're trying to see here is that the, our kids have the capacity they come into it we nurture it with our sense of connection that we develop and enrich and that we seek support for in our own lives to keep doing be able to keep doing that that's right but then um, as we expand our sense of us then our kids will get it naturally and that's some work that's to expand work. our sense of us and that's where I think um, we have a lot more to say about how adults expand our sense of us, but I don't yeah. think we're going to dive in there today. It's huge. It's huge, right? What yeah. I'd like to do is fast forward in time to having a kid who's in elementary school. Um, yeah. And there's, in our local area, there's a very strong sense of curriculum around teaching kids about justice movements and we love this this is yeah. fabulous that this is getting to be part of education just normal school is teaching us about how people band together and fight against things when it's wrong and how we can be an ally to people who are being hurt by um groups of people who have power or by the policies and structures that they create and sustain um, with their resources. So this is something we're very thrilled is being taught in schools. But one thing that I've noticed and you've noticed, Niels, again and again, is that in a way we, by skipping over a child's inherent ability to feel connected to other human beings, and by skipping over a child's inherent ability to be able to discern when something is right or wrong for themselves, mm -hmm. for their friends, we are now creating a curriculum of um, being kind of a good progressive person right. that feels to the ch a child like it's at odds with how we're being with them. Yeah. And I just want to give an example. I think we mentioned this in the last podcast that when Leah was in kindergarten, there was um, wonderful school, wonderful interest in supporting kids to be justice makers. And, um, and I overheard a mom who was really annoyed at her son who got upset because another kid took his muffin out of his lunch yeah. and she was like the silly ridiculous things that kids get upset about today yeah. and I knew there was a lot but I'm I don't know her story there was a lot happening um in that I'm sure there was a whole history behind that comment but I realized you know it was um it was just a few days away from Cesar Chavez um, the day that we celebrate yeah. Cesar Chavez and the organizing he did around farm workers. Right. And I thought, 
so we're going to have this child override his sense of somebody took something that was mine. Right. And I'm supposed to just kind of let that go and not make a big deal out of it. Yeah. But then I'm supposed to really care when this other person from a long time ago or this whole group of people gets stuff taken away from them yeah. right. that is theirs. Yeah. And I think the training about social intelligence and social justice making intelligence has to start at this micro level. Right. It has to start with noticing kids in their own experience. And we can't always solve things, but we at least have to be willing to name how that was really hard. Yeah. That was hard right. that this other child took your muffin. Um, and and unpack that moment, preferably with both kids, so that that reality of both what it's like when you take something from another person, what all you're feeling, how to make that right again, and what it feels like when you're the one being taken from, what that feels like, what you need to say, um, maybe you need an ally to be able to say it, how we handle these little moments of injustice and allow them to matter. Yeah. That template is the template we want to keep in place so that as they take in more complexity about the world and how whole groups of people take things away from other groups of people, they have an intact internal template yeah. about what it means to respond to that moment when it's happening to you or when it's happening to someone else. Right. So we have to, at the micro level, be putting in place the building blocks of a way of being together that is consistent with the larger movement toward justice at a structural level. But before we instill building blocks, I think it is acknowledging for the child that the sense of injustice that they feel is trustworthy. That's right. That day when the, when this kid's food was taken away, this wasn't like a toy of which he had 15 and he just was hoarding it because he was feeling bad. No, this was his food <laughs> that was taken away. When he feels outraged by that, um, we want to make him feel that, yes, you, you're right to be outraged about that. Yeah. That's a normal right feeling to have in this situation. And the sense of outrage is a trustworthy experience so that when the child feels it later, when it happens to somebody else, we don't have to be de deafened to it or kind of blunted to that feeling of outrage and uh, injustice in ourselves because people saw us and, and nurtured it when we felt it. And again, that sense of this was unfair comes from a place of empathy that we've had since birth so it, these are really the building blocks this is what i'm wanted you know so it's we started by talking about how kids come in and with a sense of empathy and feeling the people around them so deeply and that that translates one of the ways in which that translates is that um i have a sense of how things need to develop in the world when people are together now that by the time kindergarten comes around, people do have, kids have a sense of separate minds. And, um, but that sense of in outrage that happens when your food gets stolen 
is the same sense of outrage that you tap into when something else happens that isn't right it, than if it's to somebody else. And so these pieces all work together, but they all start from birth. Yeah. Um, and th to acknowledge that rather than to say, okay, for today we're really going to work on empathy uh, right. and teach that to you, little kids who don't have it. That's really not understanding what kids come into the world with. Yeah. Um, and so that then really works counterproductive because by denying that they have it, that you blunt that feeling of empathy and fairness that is connected to that. And that makes it then more difficult to be operating in a social justice sense later on. Absolutely. We're yeah. kind of, um, yeah, we're, I like to think of it as a moral compass or a yeah. justice compass inside. And Can I actually want, I want to... Nope. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh -huh. um, and moral compass. Moral inside. compass and justice compass. We we want to think more in terms of fine tuning the capacity they come in with, and fine tuning our own, so that we can be part of fine tuning the capacity a child comes in with, and building upon that rather than being at odds with their nature. That's right. I want to jump ahead some years further in education and talk about an experience I had um, when I was teaching sexuality studies at San Francisco State University, which I did 10, 15 years ago. I would have these kids, college students now, uh, in my classes talk about their experiences in high school. And many of them were queer, LGBT and queer and they would talk about their profound sense of unsafeness in the school a sense that was created because they were harassed and threatened and bullied by fellow students and some often most way too often teachers yeah. and with the silent complicity complicity of the uh, of the of the principal and the vice principal the administration of the school and what i would always ask him where were your parents? And so this sense of this cannot happen to my child had already been blunted in the parents for a whole lot of complex reasons. But it's connected to this piece. It's like we have now moved so far ahead and so subjected ourselves in an educational system that will instill something in us rather than will nurture what is already alive in us that by the time our own children are threatened, these parents are not effective in standing up for their children when they need to, when their children are physically unsafe. That's right. Um, and they carry this car, I mean, they were carrying these cars in my college classrooms, uh, right there. I mean, that was horrendous. Anyway. Let's rewind, because I want to get yes. back to what does it mean for people whose kids are little? Yes. But I love that story. That's yeah. the trajectory. That's where That's it exactly goes. Right. And so for us as parents, um, of young children, the first and foremost step is to keep remembering that their experience matters. Yeah. That whenever a kid says, that's not fair, that's a moment to step in and listen. And it doesn't mean that their take in that moment on what's unfair is always actually what's unfair. But when children have that refrain of it's unfair, there is something in their life that is actually really unfair. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, it doesn't mean anybody's done anything wrong, but the first stance of a parent in that situation could be and should be 
to listen and value that experience. Um, We often have to first let ourselves notice our own feelings of that's unfair before we can really take seriously the those feelings in our kids and I think that's um that's again a big piece of the work to just notice this is unfair and to let yourself be seen and heard in that experience so that when our kids have that experience we can turn around and say and and be with them and notice the experience and then figure out together what should we do what should we do when the storm of the biggest feelings I have kind of quelled themselves because a child is like, okay, I've got an ally here. You believe me. You've got my back. And then to say, what are we going to do together? And I just want to end with one little story. We just had an experience just this last week um, where Leah, who's at a new school, had an art teacher. Art is one of her absolute favorite subjects and she came home from school one day and was pretty upset and heartbroken to say that the teacher had looked at something Leah was drawing and she said I hate that that's the way a baby draws a son and we really uh, dug into that one a little bit. Are you sure? Are you sure she did she use the word hate? Yes, she used the word hate. And she said it was like a baby drawing. Yes, it was like a baby drawing. When we knew this, our teacher had a little bit of a reputation of being gruff. And we'd been a little watchful of it just because art is such a a favored topic for Leah. But what Leah needed in that moment was for us to believe her that something we didn't know initially. Did the teacher actually say that? What we did know was that there was a sense that of outrage that she had experienced that she had to hold all day inside herself and that as soon as she came home to us that's what she wanted to talk about in for the next hour what happened and we didn't leap to brainstorming what do we do next but we knew together as a family we're going to figure out how we want to respond to this and um and that's its own process but the first step is I am so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry something so unfair happened. I'm here to listen. I'm here to be your ally. And together, we're going to figure out what needs to be done. Now, Leah's school teacher of her main classroom just handled it brilliantly. We're really thrilled with the school, thrilled even for the chance to have a little practice moment around what happens when somebody does something really oppressive to you and how do you get the help you need and how do you bring in your allies and come up with a strategy related to that we've also been talking about what's happening around ICE and immigration and I was noticing we had a conversation with Leah yesterday where I felt like there was more she needed to know about what's happening in the world and how harsh the ICE officers are being um, around immigration as as traveling families are coming back into the country. Um, and I felt like she needed more information. And so I started to talk to her about it as this somewhat abstract thing. And then I realized, oh, no, the way I need to talk about this is one of her very good friends is actually her parents don't have have green cards and they can't go home to the country that they come from 
to be with uh, a dying grandmother because they're afraid they will not be able to get back in the country. And I'm being a little bit vague about the details just for privacy sake, but but when I when I stopped making it general and I got into this is what your friend is experiencing, Leah's eyes filled up with tears and she said, I would hate if I couldn't see my grandmother again. I can't even imagine how hard that would be. And that from that moment, she was now able to think about immigration and think about what I had started with the, the, the global. And I realized, no, the way in is to start, start in, in the sphere of what's actually impacting her life and to remind her of the us, the us-ness, that her friend is part of us. And when she hurts, we know that hurt. We've experienced something similar and that there's a whole bunch of other children and parents who might be having the same kinds of experiences that our dear friend is having and that we want to, even though we don't know them and they're not our friends yet, they they would probably be our friends if we knew them and that we're just going to care about that experience and um, and really hone our skills to figure out together, okay, what needs to be done? This is not okay that this really unfair thing is happening. Right. Yeah. It's so, affecting us. It's affecting us. Yeah. It's affecting, it's affecting us. us in a very real way. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay. So much more to be said. I'm still, wow, this is so rich. Um, we'd love to hear what everybody who's listening to this have to say has to say about that and hope that you will respond on either on our website, theparentsway.org, or on SoundCloud. Um, you can also rate us on iTunes if, this is, if that's how you're listening to this podcast. But do share your thoughts. Um, this is an opening to a conversation, and we really, I'm des- desperate to hear what you want to, what you have to say about this. Yeah, we know you're uh, thinking about these things yeah, already. All the time. Yeah. And and we know that you are in solidarity with your kids and we know that you feel deeply with them and for them and are trying to figure this out uh, in a world that doesn't necessarily support your stance of solidarity with your kids at all times. And that's that's a really tough that can be a tough place to be. Very tough place so, to be. So um I hope in that sense you also feel this podcast as a solidarity towards you, dear parent, who really is coming alongside your, your kid uh, when you need to and um, and share the same sense of injustice as they have. So yeah, before absolutely. we close then, uh, Angela, you wanted to say one last, have one other invitation. Yes, just a quick thing and I'll say a little bit more about it as it goes on, but in my religious tradition, we are coming up upon the 40 days of Lent, which are it's actually a little bit more than 40 days because that doesn't count the weekends, but it's the the period leading up to Easter. And um, many people often have practices at this time of year, take on a, a spiritual practice. And I've decided this year I'm going to be doing a practice of contemplative prayer. Um, probably I'm going to do just five minutes at 5.30 a.m. Pacific time, and I'm going to be inviting any else who wants to join me in that to do so and I feel like it's a really important time to remember to take these kinds of pauses to take meditative prayerful space to 
sit with and in awareness of the larger life that's holding us because we've got a lot we're doing the rest of the 24 hours in the day and to just really give ourselves these a spot of rest and to do it together is a really, really powerful practice. So I'm going to be making a little introduction to uh, contemplative prayer for progressive thinkers. And I haven't decided yet what the format of that is going to be, but I will make that available to you. And then I will invite you to join me for a daily practice, five minutes of contemplative prayer. And um, you can send me your your uh, text number to text you at if you want and I will send a group text shortly before 5 30 in the morning pacific time and and we can enter into prayerful quiet together and then I'll send you another text when we're done and your cell phone number would not be used for anything other than this ever um, it's really a way to hold one another in the experience of being held in a time that is pretty overwhelming for most of us yeah, pretty overwhelming indeed. to us this okay. is really connected to being able to continue to do the work of justice and justice making and raising justice makers sounds exciting uh 5 30 in the mornings uh starting a in the week of what is it do we have I to think date? it starts march 2nd or 3rd i'll okay. get back to you with we'll details get back to you. you'll hear details yeah. great okay wonderful Thanks, Thanks for everybody. being with us. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you next time. Talk to you next time.